1 Samuel chapter number 18. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse number 1. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you know in chapter 17, David has just slain the giant Goliath. And uh, Saul has spoken with David and asked David to come, to live at the palace and to be a present and a permanent fixture there. And the Bible says in verse 1, it came to pass when he, when David, had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the king? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, meaning he played the harp, and played music for him. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with him. David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. What a blessing to be in your house. I pray that the Holy Ghost would have free course and liberty today to work and to move and to minister among hearts. Lord, I don't know the condition of any person in this room except myself, Lord. I don't even really know my heart like you know it, Lord. You know my heart better than I. But Lord, there could be here today someone lost and undone. And I pray that they'd not leave in that condition. They don't have to leave in that condition. Lord, you're, you're here and present and alive and risen and waiting and ready to save them and to change their life. And I pray that they not leave here lost. And I pray, Lord, if there's any amongst us that have yielded to the flesh or to the devil or to the world and we've allowed backsliddenness to grip our hearts and a coldness uh, to live in our souls, that, Lord, You'd reclaim us today, that You'd not leave us, Lord, in apathy, but that You would, Lord, disrupt us, that You would uh, plow up the ground of our heart and show us our need to draw closer unto Thee. And may we all leave here knowing that we've heard from heaven and being made more into the image of Christ We'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, I love you and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice a phrase with me in verse number 12. The Bible says that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Look down with me at verse 15. We didn't read it in our text, but it says, Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, when David behaved himself very wisely, He, Saul, was afraid of him, of David. We have that phrase again. He was afraid of him. The Bible says down in verse 29, And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy 
continually. You know, as you read through the Word of God, uh, and particularly the books of First and Second Samuel, these two books chronicle for us the story of a kingdom. It is about the little kingdom of Israel, founded uh, through the patriarch uh, Abraham and through the promises of God, that through the affliction in Egypt went from a family into a nation, uh, that by the high hand of God and the faithful hand of Moses was led out of Egypt and into the land of Canaan, that under the military genius and, and under the help of God by Joshua conquered the land. And they've spent many generations living what we might call as a theocracy, as God, as their king. But we find when we read down in 1 Samuel that you come later on in uh, about uh, long about chapter number 12 and the people begin to long for a king. They began to look around and said all these nations around us have a king that can lead them into battle and can lead them out of battle, but we don't have a king like everybody else does. And so Samuel, the prophet, hearkens to their voice and God hearkens to their voice and permits them uh, to appoint a king, to crown a king over the land of Israel. Well, they do what most people do. Uh, they look around and turn that thing into a beauty contest. Uh, they want to find the, some, uh, the, the smartest. They want to find the tallest. Uh, they want to find the best looking. They want to find the sharpest. And their eyes settle upon a man by the name of Saul. He is of the tribe of Benjamin. The Bible tells us he was a goodly young man. You say, preacher, uh, what does goodly mean? It looks good looking. That's what that means. You say, preacher, what does good looking mean? We'll just look right up here. Somebody say amen to that. And so they uh, settle upon Saul and crown him as king. But as we read through the story of Saul, it is not a triumphant one, but rather it is a tragic one. For Saul, though he started out small, he begins to be lifted up in pride and he begins to disobey the voice of the Lord. When that happens, God speaks to Saul and says, uh, because you've disobeyed me, because you've rejected me, I have rejected thee to be king over Israel. And so Samuel is commissioned by God to go and find, not the king that man chose, but the king that God would choose. He goes down to a little town by the name of Bethlehem, uh, to the house of a man by the name of Jesse who had eight sons. Uh, and he goes out and he begins to go uh, one another uh, down the line looking at those boys. And every one that he comes to, he thinks looks pretty good, but God says, that's not my king. Uh, he comes to the next one, the next oldest. Uh, Samuel says, this probably be a good king. God says, no, Samuel, that's not my king. And one by one, these boys are disqualified until there's no boys left in the house. And Samuel looks at uh, Jesse and looks confused, says, don't you have any more sons? I know one of your sons is the king, uh, but who is the king if he's not any of these boys? And Jesse says, well, I do have one little boy. He, he He's young. He's sort of the run of the litter. He's out in the field right now uh, tending to the sheep, but uh, I do have him. His name is David. Uh, Samuel says, go get him. That's the one that God has chosen. And so they go and bring uh, David in and uh, Samuel takes that horn of oil and pours it over his head and anoints him and crowns him king over Israel. Now somebody will say, well, preacher, sounds like we're doing pretty good. Israel's got themselves a good king. Well, I'd say this, uh, Israel does have a good king, but they still got a problem. They still got a bad king too. Uh, in other words, this is a kingdom with two kings. Now think about this with me. This is a kingdom uh, that has, uh, that where God manifests Himself. God has chosen to put His name uh, on the kingdom of Israel. He's chosen to put His house uh, in the kingdom of Israel. He's chosen uh, to work within the hearts of the people there in Israel. Once a year when the uh, high priest would give the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, the glory of God would sit down upon that temple and uh, the Shekinah uh, manifest glory of God would shine around 
around about. It was a place where God manifest Himself. Let me say number two, this kingdom was a kingdom that God had and has an eternal plan for. Uh, let me say this, God has an eternal plan for the kingdom of Israel. Uh, there are twists and turns and there are dark times and there are lots of questions and confusions, but you mark her down, God's not confused about it a bit. Uh, he set His name there. Uh, he gave title deed to that property to Abraham. Uh, he has established a throne uh, for David there. He said that uh, throne shall be established forever and ever. God has an eternal plan for the kingdom of Israel. And then I would say this, we notice in our text, it is a place where God manifests Himself. It is a kingdom that God has an eternal plan for. And yet, at this moment, it was a kingdom with two kings. You say, preacher, that's good, and I appreciate the history lesson, but now wait a minute. When I read this, I find a little bit of a parallel. Uh, can I say this, that in this New Testament dispensation of grace that you and I are living in, uh, God likewise has a place where He manifests Himself. Uh, right now it is not in the kingdom of Israel. They've rejected their Messiah. They are under blindness right now. One day He will set His King there in Israel. But right now, uh, where does God uh, put His temple? Right now, where does God sit down in His glory? Right now, where does God make His presence known? The Bible tells us in the New Testament that you and I, if we're saved by the grace of God, we are the temple of God. Let me say number two, this morning we likewise, uh, God has an eternal plan for you and I. In our life there may, may be dark times, there may be times of disobedience, there may be times of disappointing God, but thank the Lord, hey, God didn't give up on Israel and God ain't given up on us either. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, there ought to be times that God should have gave up on us had He been any less of a God than He is. But thank God that He is the God that He is. For He has not given up on us. Let me say this morning, likewise, we too are a kingdom with two kings. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, let's think about these two kings for a moment. And we might get a little idea about what the Holy Ghost is saying this morning. What about that old king? What about that king Saul? What can we say about him? I'd say we could say a few things about him. Number one, I would note this, that he was a natural king. The people chose him uh, because of his external appearance. Uh, they looked at that king and it made them feel better to have a king that looked like Saul. They said, boy, we're going to look sharp marching into battle and having that big old tall king uh, with that regal crown on his head and that big old scepter in his hand. What a king he's going to be. Uh, they chose uh, Saul because he was a little taller than everybody else, the Bible says. He was a little better looking than everybody else. He was a little smarter. He was a little sharper. He was the natural choice. When man was left to himself, he said, I want King Saul. Now we read a little later that God had a different choice in king. But can I say this, that reminds me of you and I in our natural condition. You know, every one of us, we uh, you may be uh, as saved as any man's ever been, but you still got an old natural man living within you. You've still got the flesh residing within you. I don't care how sanctified you believe yourself to be. I don't care how righteous you believe yourself to be. I don't care how high-minded you may be. Every one of us has an old dirty, rotten, stinking flesh within us that still rejects God. He was a natural king. Number two, I'd say this, he was a prideful king. Whenever Samuel reports to him that God has rejected him from the kingdom. Listen to the rebuke that he gives uh, back in chapter 15. Verse 17, Samuel said to him, he said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. 
Now, did you notice that past tense there? He said, when thou wast little in thine own sight. Now, I am not a, an English major. People say, uh, preacher, uh, you know, uh, do you speak any other languages? I barely speak the one that I was born in. Amen. <laughs> I don't, people ask me sometimes, preacher, what do you think about Hebrew and Greek? And I'll say, I struggle with English sometimes. I, I, I'm just going to stay in my wheelhouse. Somebody say amen to that right there. I got enough Bible in English. I got enough Bible in English. Go ahead there. I've got enough Bible in English to read. Amen. And, uh, but, but, uh, you know, I, if my, if my rudimentary English knowledge serves me well, the fact that that's past tense tells me this. He used to be little in his own sight, but he ain't little in his own sight anymore. In other words, when, uh, whenever he was given opportunity of God, he was elevated and puffed up and lifted up in his own heart. Boy, don't that remind us of the old man? Hey, listen, the old man, he's awful proud of who he is. All of this went to his head. He he began, I mean, back when he didn't know he's the tallest God could use him. Uh, back when he didn't know he's the best looking God could use him. Back when he didn't know he's the smartest God could use him. But now all of a sudden he is lifted up in pride and now he wants to run things. He wants to make the decisions. He wants to govern his life. You listen this morning. Your flesh is not satisfied to take a back seat. It will always want to run your life. Uh, you can't sanctify that flesh. You can't subjugate that flesh in and of yourself. It will always want to govern your life. He was a prideful king. But then, and this is the saddest part about it, I noticed he was a rejected king. In that same chapter that we read that verse a moment ago, back in chapter 15, listen to what it says in verse 26. Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. In other words, the greatest problem with Saul was that the Lord had turned his back on him. The Lord said, I can do something in Israel, but I cannot do it through Saul. If I'm going to do anything in this little kingdom, I'm going to have to have a king. This is God's language that's after my own heart. I'm going to have to have a king that will listen to me. You know the problem with our flesh? It won't listen to God. The Bible says in the book of Romans that it's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Uh, the fact of the matter is, our flesh has rejected God, so God has rejected our flesh. If anything's going to be done in our life, it's going to have to be a different king that does it. So I think about this old king. But now, there's a new king in the kingdom now. He's this young man by the name of, of, of David. Now, who does he remind us of? Well, there's a few things I'd say about him. I, I notice, number one, this new king, he is born in Bethlehem. The Bible says he was the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. When you read through the Old Testament, you'll find out we think of Bethlehem as this sweet, precious nativity scene. But when you read in the Old Testament, there wasn't hardly anything good came out of Bethlehem. Just about everything that was bad came out of Bethlehem. Broken families came out of Bethlehem. Broken lives came out of Bethlehem. Wickedness dwelt in Bethlehem until there was a man by the name of David who came out of Bethlehem. Then all of a sudden, he changed everything about it. And now when we think of Bethlehem, we don't think of it as a wicked place. We think of it as a place where God brings His King into being. You say, now preacher, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I'm reminded there was another king came out of Bethlehem. 
Uh, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter number 2 that it was in the little town of Bethlehem that the Lord Jesus was born. So He was born in Bethlehem. I, I also notice that He was despised by His brethren. Uh, the Bible says that David's brethren, uh, like Joseph's brethren, could not stand Him. When He goes down to the battle to whoop the uh, giant Goliath, uh, His brothers make fun of Him. Uh, they ridicule Him. They criticize Him. They said, you've just come down in the naughtiness of thine heart uh, to view and to behold the battle. You ain't down here to do nothing. You're just down here to spy on us. You little pest. You little runt. What are you doing down here? Why don't you get back to daddy's house where you belong? He was despised by his brethren. We could say it this way. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Now don't that remind us of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 1. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. I'd say this, he, he was born in Bethlehem, he was despised by his brethren, but I'd say this, you know, the first time we see him, he don't even look like a king. When we see him the first time, he's meek and he's mild. When we see him the first time, he is a shepherd out in the field. He don't look like a conquering king the first time we see him. He looks like a shepherd that cares over his own flock. You know, he kept on in many ways having the heart of a shepherd. He would be the one that the Holy Ghost would use to pin down that famous 23rd Psalm about how the Lord is our shepherd. And David knew what he was talking about. For David had spent many a long, weary hour out in the field watching over the flock. When you had first seen David, you wouldn't have thought he was a king. But you wait until the end of his life and you see him crowned. And there's never been a king like David in the land of Israel. You know, it reminds me of the Lord Jesus. When He first came to this earth, He didn't come as a king. He didn't come in exaltation. He didn't come in majesty. He didn't come in glory. He was born in, the, uh, in a virgin's womb, uh, in a poor uh, family, in a paltry family, in an obscure family uh, where the line of the Messiah had almost been snuffed out by the rejection of man. And He was laid in a manger. He was rejected at the end. He was rejected by man. And all through His life, he didn't live in palaces, but rather he lived. He had no place to lay his head. He had no place to bed himself down. Uh, he did not live in the lap of luxury, but he labored uh, in the common work of the common man. When you had first seen him, you wouldn't have thought he looked like much of a king. But now hold on now, the story ain't over. He's coming back again. And when he comes back again, he's sure enough going to look like the king. He was a shepherd king. It reminds me of the Lord Jesus. The shepherd king that cared for his flock. He, uh, David had a tender heart towards those that were put under his watch care and that shepherd spirit never departed from him. He always cared over that flock. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us in the New Testament about the Lord Jesus that he called those disciples his little flock that followed him. Uh, when I think about David, you know how much he cared about the flock? He cared about so much. There was a day when a bear and a lion came down and started trying to mess with that flock. And the Bible tells us that David went and he grabbed that lion by the beard and ripped it in twain and defeated it and smote it down and destroyed it. That roaring lion came and threatened his flock. So he came down and whooped that lion. You say, preacher, what does that remind you of? Well, it reminds me of that shepherd king in the New Testament uh, that when that roaring lion, that's what Peter calls the devil, when that roaring lion came out and roared against that little flock, uh, the shepherd came down and caught him by the beard and took him on Calvary's hill and slew him and defeated him. He's a shepherd king. He, he uh, defeated the lion. He slew the lion. And then I would say this, uh, he has a throne that's established by God forever. 
In other words, God has promised David uh, that his throne uh, would not remain empty forever. He'd put a king on that throne. And that reminds me of the Lord Jesus. In fact, I could say it so much as this. Uh, that uh, throne that David sat on is the very throne that Jesus is going to sit on. That throne that God established for David is the very one that the Lord Jesus Himself is going to occupy. And you say, preacher, what does all this mean to me this morning? Well, when I think about it carefully, here's a kingdom. And it's a kingdom where God manifests Himself and God has an eternal plan. And that reminds me of you and I as believers. But it's a kingdom with two kings. There is an old king. He is natural. He is prideful. And he is rejected by God. Then here comes the new king. He is precious. Uh, He is tender to the heart and mind of God. He is mighty. He is victorious in battle. He is a uh, steward and a watcher over God's flock. And it sort of reminds me of the condition of us as believers. We are the kingdom of God. We are the temple of God. And there's an old king and he wants to run things. And there's a new king and he's going to run things one day. And the question I have for you this morning is who's going to be king in your life? You know, when we read this story, we read it in our text three times that David is afraid, Saul is afraid of David. And when we come down to that very last verse, it even says it explicitly in verse 29, says that Saul became David's enemy continually. But you know, that wasn't always the case. In fact, when we read earlier in these uh, chapters, we find that there was a time that the Bible says that Saul loved David. In fact, he sent for David to be taken out of his daddy's house and brought to live in his house. I reckon wonder why it was that David enjoyed the favor of the old king. Well, I thought about it this way. First time we meet these uh, two individuals, first time they meet together is way back in chapter number 16. Now, we won't take time to read it. You can read it later in your own time. But if you go back to chapter number 16, the very first time that they meet, that old king is about to lose his mind. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. It says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. The Bible tells us that Saul was so disturbed by this, so troubled by this, he can't sleep, he can't eat, nothing tastes right, nothing looks right anymore. His nerves are frayed, his nerves are shot. I'm saying that old king was in bad shape. Somebody goes to him and says, Saul, I don't know if this will be a help to you, but I've heard about this little boy that lives up in the mountains of Bethlehem that plays on the harp. And they say that he writes the sweetest songs. And they say that he plays the sweetest music. And maybe King Saul, if you can just get David to come down, maybe he can play a song and he can soothe your troubled soul. Maybe he can come down and give a little peace to your frame of mind. Maybe he can come down and calm your nerves and calm your belly and calm your state of existence. And so they send for David. And the Bible says this in verse 23 of chapter 16, it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took an harp and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit departed from him. So Saul's beginning to think, you know, this boy's all right. I like this little Bethlehemite. When he'll sit in the corner with a harp in his hand and play me a little music and make me feel a little better, I like this David. You know, it made me think about some folks. Can I say this this morning? There's some folks that want just enough of the new king to sing them a sweet song. When they're troubled, when they're bothered, when they're disturbed, 
They want uh, the, the new king to come down with the harp in his hand and to play a beautiful song. Uh, they want just enough God, just enough Jesus to calm and soothe their troubled spirit. Uh, when they're bothered by life circumstances, when they're bothered by turmoil within, they'll come and they'll seek God. Uh, they're just like Saul, man. They're broken. They're burned out. They're frayed at the edges. And they come to the Lord and the Lord sings a sweet song to them, gives peace to their soul, and they like Him while He's doing that. But we need to let old Saul know something. Hey, listen, this boy, he is a singer, but he ain't just a singer. He's a sovereign king too. Uh, hey, listen, he, he ain't just got a harp. He's got a crown too. Can I tell you this this morning? I'm glad the Lord will uh, soothe our troubled soul, aren't you? I'm glad He'll come in our midnight hour and sing songs to us and help us, that strengthen us, that nourish us. Uh, but let me just serve notice on you this morning. He ain't just a sweet Savior. He ain't just a sweet singer. He's a sovereign King. And He is headed for your throne in your life. I, I think He liked Him because He was a singer of sweet songs. Some folks want enough of the Lord just to make them feel a happy moment. Uh, they want enough of the Lord. And listen, hey, singing will do that. I'm for singing. Amen. Especially when it's somebody other than me doing it. Somebody say amen to that. Anybody testify with I love singing. But hey, listen, there's some folks, that's all they want of the Lord. That's all they want. They, they don't want no truth. They don't want no preaching. They don't want no conviction. Hey, just get up. Sing me a little song. Make me feel good. That's all I want from you, Lord. Just a little pick me up. Hey, he's a singer of sweet songs. Praise God that he is. But he's more... Than that, and then you know we 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 continue to read their story. Saul's liking David. He says, "Man, I I like this boy." And I, but when he'll sit in the corner and play that harp, I mean that's so sweet and precious, and and I just love that. If we can just keep him in the corner, I'm about to, I'm about to just break out of this message and start preaching. He says, "As long as he'll just stay in the corner, I'm satisfied with it. the thrones over here. This is where I belong, and as long as he'll just stay over in the corner there and play me sweet songs." I'm content to have him around. He, he liked him because he was a singer of sweet songs. But their story don't end there. In fact, when we come over to chapter number 17, we find that King Saul is encamped in the valley of Elah and uh, the Philistines are encamped on the other side of the valley. And every morning there's a great formidable foe that would come out and would taunt the children of Israel. You know him. You've heard about him. His name was Goliath. He was a giant nine feet tall that would come out every day and blaspheme the God of Israel and taunt the children of Israel and would cry out blasphemies and cursings unto the God of glory. And the Bible tells us that Saul, big old tall Saul, Big old King Saul, instead of going down there in the valley and whooping him, the Bible tells us he was hiding in his tent. You know what happened, don't you? Saul was the tallest around, but sooner, sooner or later, somebody taller than Saul showed up. Can I tell you this? Hey, your flesh may think it stands tall, but sooner or later, a giant's going to show up taller than you. I'm saying something's going to come on in life that's bigger than you can handle. The Bible tells us that David's brethren are down there in the army, in the battle. And David uh, is sent by his father Jesse with a with a bag of food and, and, and some uh, supplies to go down to the battle and check on his brethren and, and bring them that sustenance. And so David, he walks upon the scene and I guess he showed up at the matinee and he hears Goliath out there in the valley cursing God and cursing Saul and cursing the children of Israel. And, and David stood up and he said, Hey, who is that fellow? And somebody said, Well, that's the champion of the Philistines. That's Goliath. David looked around and said, is he cursing our God? He said, yeah, he's done it every morning. David said, well, who's going to go down and whoop him? 
And they all looked around and said, well, I don't know who's going to go down and whoop him, David. Who do you think ought to go down and whoop him? And David pretty soon caught the drift and he said, well, I'll tell you what, if nobody will go down there and whoop him, then God will go down there and whoop him. He goes down to the brook and he gathers those stones and he goes to Saul and Saul tries to put his armor on him. It's too big. You know why? Because the things that strengthen the flesh don't strengthen the spirit. The things that strengthen the flesh don't strengthen the spirit. They wear different armor. <laughs> and so uh, he, he, he goes out there and, and he's got that sling in his hand. You know the story. He, he, he winds up and he uh, pitches it out there like Nolan Ryan and puts it right between the middle of his eyes and fells that giant like a big old oak tree. The Bible tells us after that that Saul comes walking up and he don't know what's happened uh, quite yet. And he says, hey, who is that down there just with that giant? Somebody said, hey, that's David the Bethlehemite. Saul said, hey, not only does he play well, but he kills giants too. I'm starting to like this boy. Can I say this? You know why he was in the favor of King Saul? Because he was a, swing, a singer of sweet songs. But number two, uh, because he was a slayer of formidable foes. You know this, some people want just enough of the new king to have their giants all killed. They'll come to God. I've met people like this. You probably have too. They'll come to God in their brokenness, uh, in their battered uh, situation, in the darkness of their uh, soul. And they'll come and they'll cry out to God. They'll say, Lord, help me. God, fix my marriage. Lord, get me sober. God, get the kids right. Lord, save my grandkids in their brokenness as they're faced with something bigger than they can handle. And what does the new king do? He goes down into the valley and he whoops that giant and he slays that giant. And as long as he's whooping our giants, we're fine for him to be around. Next thing we know, there ain't no more giants around. We ain't got no use for them anymore. It's back to the corner with your heart now. And you wait for me to call you up. I Listen, I've, I, I've done this. I've met people like this that come in broken. God saves them, changes their life. And all of a sudden, uh, they just go missing, man. They go Jimmy Hoffa on you. All of a sudden, they're gone. I'm talking about the FBI. I can't find them. I'm talking about even Google can't find them. They're so gone. Well, what happened? All their giants got slain and they didn't need him no more. Some folks, you see, they, they like that new king because he's a slayer of formidable foes. But when we come to chapter number 18, we find that things change. You see, there was favor with the king, the old king, but then in chapter 18, we see the fury of the old king. Now, we read it, but I want you to notice, all of a sudden, David is brought back home to the kingdom. And Saul, here's what he's expecting. He's expecting David to be a nice, good boy, go back to the corner and play his harp. But David has no intention of that. David has already done been crowned king of Israel. And that throne that Saul's sitting on, that's David's throne. And so how does David take that throne? How does he do that? Well, I notice a few things. Look at what it says down in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto David that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garment, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. What was the reason that things changed? Well, number one, because David took his son. You say, what does that tell me? Well, I'd say this, there's probably nothing in the world that Saul loved more than Jonathan. And now here comes a new king, and he's took the object of his affection. You say, preacher, what does it look like when the new king takes the throne? First thing he'll do is he'll take the things you love. 
and make you love new things. I remember hearing years ago, Lester Roloff made this statement. He said, you know, ever since I got born again, he said, I drink as much as I want to. He said, I cuss as much as I want to. He said, I do anything I want to. He said, but you know what God did? God came along and changed my want to. He said, before I saved, I wanted all that. But God took all those desires away, all those ambitions away, all those lusts, all those longings away. Now that don't mean He was a perfect man and you're not and I'm not, but I'm saying this, when the new king comes in, he'll change what you love to a new desire. I see that he took his son from him. Read a little further in our text here, man. I, I, I like this. Look what it says down in verse 5. The Bible says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. I'd say this, not only did David take his son, but he took his soldiers. Now, these soldiers had been loyal to Saul. He was their king, and they were going to do whatever he told them. He was the one that was going to give them marching orders. In other words, I'd say this. They were going to fight for what Saul wanted. Now, all of a sudden, the new kings come in, and they've got loyalty to him. And now they ain't fighting over the things they used to fight over. Now they're fighting over new things. You know what God will do when He becomes king in your heart and life? You won't fuss and fight over the things you used to fuss and fight over. The things that was precious to you before won't be precious to you anymore. Now all of a sudden there'll be new causes. There'll be new things. There'll be new battles. There'll be new fights for you to fight. All of a sudden, you know what He does? He takes the soldiers in our heart and in our life. Read on a little further and we'll we'll hurry a little bit. If you ain't going to help me no more than that, well, we'll just go to the house. Look what it says. And Saul set him over the men of war, verse 5, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people. And also, look with me now, also in the sight of Saul's servants. You say, preacher, what did he do? Well, he took his son, he took his uh, soldiers, and then you know what he did? He took his servants. All of a sudden now, Saul, he snaps his fingers and waits for somebody to come and nobody comes. Instead, he looks over in the corner where he's put David and all those servants are there waiting on David. You, you know, uh, your your life and mine, we have servants in our kingdom too. You say, preacher, what, what are those servants in our kingdom? Well, it's these eyes that we've got. It's these hands that we've got. It's these feet that we've got. It's this mind that we've got. And the things that used to serve the old man, if the new king is put on the throne, now they won't serve that old king. Now they'll serve that new king. Those hands won't do what they used to do. Those feet won't carry you where they used to carry you. That mind won't go to the places it used to go. Those eyes won't look on the things that they look upon when the new king is given his way and he's sitting upon the throne. He took his, his soldiers and his son and his servants. And then look a little further. Look what it says down in verse number 6. The Bible says, And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments. Verse number 7 says, And the women answered one another as they played. And this is what they said. They said, Saul hath slain his thousands. And David, his ten thousand. Now you can imagine, here's Saul and he's sitting there and he sees that all of a sudden Jonathan loves David more than he loves him. He can see that the soldiers stand up a little straighter when David walks by than they do when he walks by. He notices that the, that the servants that used to come at his beckoning call, now they don't come to him anymore. They come back from war one day and this is what finally seals it. Listen, they come back from war and they've defeated the Philistines and they're going to have a party in the streets. And all of a sudden that choir begins to strike up. Those ladies begin to sing. And Saul says, oh, I know this song. I've heard this song before. This is my favorite song. And they start in saying, Saul hath slain his thousands. 
He says, boy, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? And he gets ready for that next verse, but it don't start. Instead, this is what it does. It goes, and David, his ten thousands. Saul says, now wait a minute. I ain't never heard that verse before. What just happened there? They said that Saul has slain his thousands. They're saying David has slain his ten thousands. You know what he did? He took his song from him. The praises that used to be sang ain't sang anymore. Now there's new praises. You know what will happen if the king gets on the throne of your heart? You'll quit singing about you and yours. And you'll start singing about him and his. The things that you used to exalt and uplift and used to matter won't matter anymore. Instead, you won't sing about you anymore. You'll sing about him. We see the reason for Saul's fury, but notice the reaction of his fury. Verse number 8. The Bible says, And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said this, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Notice it. Look at it. And what can he have more but the kingdom? In other words, Saul says this, says he's already took my son. He's already took my soldiers. He's already took my servants. He's already took my song. And now he wants to take my seat. It's almost like he's saying this. David ain't going to be happy till he has the whole kingdom. Can I just serve notice on you this morning? The new king ain't going to be happy till he has the whole kingdom. He's going to keep after you. He's going to keep pricking your heart. He's going to keep working in your life. He's going to keep drawing your attention until he has the whole kingdom kingdom. Saul's furious. And so what does he do in response? The Bible says in verse 9 that Saul eyed David from that day forward. Time would fail me to preach on all of it, but we find that Saul, he just about tears his whole life apart trying to destroy this new king. Can I tell you this? Your flesh ain't going to go quietly. Your flesh is not just going to sit back and let Jesus sit on the throne of your life. Saul becomes destructive. That old king, he's a scrapper. He's a fighter. He's not just going to let everything go. He'll hurt anything and he'll burn down everything trying to keep his throne. He destroyed his relationship with his son trying to keep his throne. He drove his subjects away trying to keep his throne. The old king will destroy you trying to keep his throne. Listen, the flesh, He ain't going to let it. Don't be surprised when you get on fire for the Lord. Don't be surprised when God starts stirring in your heart if your flesh bows up. Don't be surprised. People come to me surprised sometimes. They'll say, I've been trying to live for God and it ain't been nothing but harder. And I say, good, it means you're doing it right. You know what that is? That's that world getting angry. That's that devil getting angry. And that's that flesh bowing up and trying to keep his throne. He was destructive. But then I noticed this, he was vindictive. We can read a little later on in the story of David and Saul and we find that Saul gets wind that David has been hiding out in a place called Nob. He's been there because that's where the priests live and there's a man by the name of Ahimelech who's the high priest who loves David. And uh, David goes by and visits Ahimelech one day and asks him for help, asks him for a sword and asks him for some, some food. He's on the run and uh, there's a man that's there uh, that day by the name of Doeg. He's an Edomite. He's a vile. He's a wicked man. And he sees what happens. He goes back to the court of Saul and he reports to Saul that Ahimelech is hiding David. So here's what Saul does. He comes down to Nob. He talks to Ahimelech. He said, hey, I'm looking for David. I'm ready to kill him. I want him gone. I want him dead. And I heard you are hiding him. 
Ahimelech looks at him and says, King Saul, I wouldn't help your enemy. Uh, I didn't know that he was your enemy. I thought he was in your favor. I gave him a little food. I gave him a sword and sent him on his way. I had no idea. I wasn't trying to be disloyal to you. And here's what Saul did in his rage and fury. Uh, he turned to Doeg the Edomite and he said, kill this man. And not only kill him, but kill every priest here. And the Bible tells us that he killed Ahimelech and 85 priests in Nob. Now why did he do that? Did he do that because he was threatened by these priests? Did he do that because he thought Ahimelech was a traitor? No, he did that because he was angry at what Ahimelech had done. Can I say this? Uh, the flesh is going to target everything that God loves about your life. It's going to target everything about your life that God loves, everything that God uses, everything that God blesses. It'll systematically try to destroy everything about you. Why? It's trying to kill that new king. It's trying to kill that new king. Well, what's going to happen? How's it going to wind up? Well, what do we learn about the life of David and Saul? I, when I read this, I, I see the favor of the old king. There was a time when he loved David. As long as David would, would sit in the corner and play his heart and show up when there was a giant to kill, he was content for David to be there. But once David starts taking all these things from him, now all of a sudden he ain't okay with him and we see the fury of the old king. But how does it all wind up? Where does it all end? Well, I would say that when we read in this passage, uh, we see the fall of the old king. Can I say something to you this morning? I hope you'll listen carefully. That old king, he'll fight for his throne. He'll kill anything. He'll burn everything down. He'll destroy everything he can. But that new king, he won't fight for that throne. You listening this morning? He won't fuss over that throne. He won't fight over that throne. In fact, if you want to give that throne to somebody else, he'll get up off of it. He'll go back to the corner where you had him. He won't fight inside the kingdom. There's coming a day that David's going to be a man of war. But he wouldn't fight Saul over that throne. Later on, he wouldn't fight Absalom, his wicked son, over that throne. You know why? He will only sit on a throne where he's wanted. We notice this morning the passiveness of the new king. He won't strive for this throne. And let me say, Jesus won't fight over the throne of your life. If somebody wants the throne and you'll give it to him, he'll get up. And he'll let him have it. He won't force himself on the throne. He never did. Listen, he never did take the throne till the old king was dead. So that tells me this. If he's going, if that new king's going to sit on the throne, we're going to have to do something about that old king. Now, somebody's going to say, well, preacher, I know what we do. We'll just get David to go down there and kill him. That's what we'll do. He killed the, the giant Goliath. We'll just get David to go down there and whoop Saul just like he did. But you know, funny thing about their relationship over and over again, Saul wants to kill David. And the Bible tells us he tried on multiple occasions. But that old king, he couldn't kill that new king. That's alright, you'll get that here in a moment. That old king, if he could, he'd kill that new king. But he can't kill that new king. Why couldn't he? Because God won't let him kill that new king. Can I say, if your flesh could, it'd snuff out your spiritual man. If it could, hey listen, it could kick Jesus out of your heart. Now somebody's going to say, preacher, you're starting to sound like one of them once saved, always saved. Yeah, I got it tattooed right here on my forehead. Uh, loud and proud. Hey, if your flesh could, it would kick Jesus out of your life. But it can't do it. God won't let Him do it. But now this is interesting. Here is, think with me for just a moment. Here's the old king, and he wants to kill the new king, but he can't. But you know, here's David. He's the new king. And he could have killed the old king, but he won't. When you read through their story, you'll find on three separate occasions, 
David stood over top of Saul when Saul was asleep. David's got a weapon in his hand. And it would have been as simple as to reach down and plunge it into his neck. But the Bible tells us he refuses to do it. He grabs a piece of that uh, king's garment on one occasion and, and grabs a piece of his equipment on another and goes back and stands across the valley and hollers back. But he refuses to kill that old king. Somebody's going to say, well, preacher, why can't Jesus just kill my old flesh? He could, but He won't do it. He won't do it. He refuses to do it. So we're going to have to kill Him another way. If the new king won't do it for us, how are we going to do it? Turn over to chapter 31. I want to read just a verse to you. How are we going to do it? If 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 we can't do it in and of ourselves, if, if, if the new king, if, if he won't do it, how is this old king, how is he going to die? 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 4 here, we read about how it happens. The Bible says that Saul is surrounded by his enemies, the Philistines, and he knows he's about to lose this battle. And the Bible says in verse 4, Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not. I'm going to make a half certified statement here, so you only have to half listen. You ready? I don't know. I don't know that I can prove it, but I sort of, this armor bearer sort of reminds me of the Holy Ghost a little bit. The Bible talks about that armor of God in the New Testament and whereby we can exercise that, that armor of God. And you know, it's through the Spirit of God. Can I say this? Hey, not only will Jesus not kill your flesh, the Holy Spirit against your will will not kill your flesh. You know, there's some folks think they, we just need a second blessing. We, we just need a great manifestation. And then all of a sudden, we ain't going to have no more flesh. No, listen, I'm sorry to report to you. Uh, if Jesus wouldn't eradicate your flesh uh, when He saved you, He won't do it through a second blessing. He won't do it through what they call a baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry to report to you. Hey, the new king ain't going to do it. The armor bearer ain't going to do it. So how's it going to happen? Look at the rest of the verse. The Bible says this, For he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. Preacher, how are we gonna, how are we gonna deal with this old king? We've seen the passiveness of the new king. He ain't gonna kill us. We've seen the armor bearing going. How's he gonna die? Here's what he's gonna have to do. He's gonna have to take that sword and fall down on it and kill himself. What's that sword? Well, my Bible tells me in the New Testament that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. You say, preacher, how is it that old king is gonna die? You're gonna have to take your flesh and fall on the Word of God. Fall on the sword if you want that flesh to die. And it ain't something that happens every day. By the way, it's interesting. You know, there's two two tales, two stories about the death of Saul uh, here in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. It's a reminder to me that, hey, uh, that process of the flesh dying, it don't just happen once. It happens every day. It happens every single day. And you know what that teaches me? Number one, it teaches me the solo responsibility of this truth. Can I tell you something? Ain't nobody going to kill your old king for you. You're going to have to do it. Hey, listen, Jesus is not just going miraculously one day uh, when we die and that flesh dies with it, we'll be given a new body. But in this life, you're going to have to kill the king. Can I tell you this? I, I, and maybe I'm doing myself a little favor, but I'm going to say it anyway. The preacher can't kill your old king. The Sunday school teacher can't kill your old king. Hey, listen, your godly spouse can't kill your old king. Hey, your, your, your friends can't kill that old king. The TV preacher can't kill your old king. Hey, nobody can kill your old king but you. You're going to have to do it if it's going to be done. Can I make a second statement here? This might help somebody. I notice not only the solo responsibility of this truth, nobody can kill the old king in your life, but can I say this? There's a sobering reality of this truth. 
if nobody can kill the old king in your life but you, that tells me this, uh, you can't kill the old king in anybody else's life. They're going to have to kill it themselves. I, I wouldn't ask for names. You just go ahead and pretend I'm preaching at somebody else. But ladies, have you ever noticed when you try to kill the old king and your husband, he turns into a roaring lion? Husbands, you ever notice when you try to kill the old king in the life of your wife that she turns into a she-bear? Uh, you, you ever, hey listen, I, I, I've, I've got two boys and I, I love them. They're precious. They're, they're different. They're, they're both of them their own people and, 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 and each one of them has a kingdom. And in their kingdom, I promise you, they themselves are the kings. And I, listen, I believe we ought to train up a child in the way he should go. I, I believe we ought not spare the rod because it'll spoil the child. I believe we ought to discipline our children and if that bothers you, talk to God about it because God says we ought to do it. God say this, hey listen, I, I can whip him, I can ground him, I can punish him, I can take things away, but what I can't do is I can't kill that old king. He's going to have to do it. He's going to have to do it. Ladies, you can't kill the old king and your husband. He's going to have to do it. Men, hey listen, you can't kill the old king and your wife. He, she's gonna have to do it. Uh, you, you can, I know some of y'all praying, begging God for your kids and your grandkids. Hey, listen, I, and I'm begging God with you! But they're gonna have to make the decision to kill that old king. You can't make the decision for them. They're going to have to. You say, preacher, what can I do? Well, you can pray for them. All, all through the Old Testament, we find there's folks that God gave David to help him get to the throne. <laughs> uh, folks that helped him get to the throne. I, I want to be one of those folks that helped him get to the throne in somebody's life. But I need to recognize at the end of the day, they're going to have to make that choice. Uh, you say, preacher, it'd be so much easier if the new king would just kill the old king. But here's the problem. If he did, the kingdom would have never really been his. It would have never really been his. The people had to accept him and that old king had to die. It could not be his throne while the old king still lived. And in your life and mine, hey, listen, Jesus can't really have His will and way. He'll save us. He'll love us. I, listen, He'll do just like David. He'll come and He'll sit in the corner of our life and play that harp and slay our giants. But we will never have the kingdom that God desires for us until we'll put Him on the throne of our life and let Him have His will in His way. I wonder who's the king in your heart this morning. If it's not the new king, it's probably because that old king's still kicking around. Why don't you mortify Him this morning? Why don't you let Him fall on that sword? Why don't you ask the Lord to help you let Christ have His way in your life? Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. The altar is open. And you have an opportunity this morning. If God spoke to your heart to come, I want you to come right now if God dealt with you. Uh, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Uh, meet God at this altar if He spoke to your heart. And speak to Him this morning. Father, bless this invitation. Lord, I love you. I'm thankful you're my King. Lord, help me to let you live on the throne of my life. And Lord, where, where I've not let you be on the throne, show it to me. Reveal it to me. Make me aware of it, Lord, that I might enthrone you once again, afresh and anew and entirely in my life. Bless this invitation. We ask it in Jesus' name with our heads bowed. Our